0: Hello and welcome to Weird Wild World, a weekly series that takes a look at the power of nature. From natural disasters to rare and strange phenomena and everything in between, we will take a look at the wonder and weirdness of our planet. I'm the Illuminati and today we're going to be talking about the 1883 eruption of Krakatoa. I feel like I've always heard about the Krakatoa volcano, like I probably learned about it in school years ago, but the memory has slipped a bit out of my mind. So before we can talk about the eruption, let's get into where Krakatoa is and the volcano's history. To start with, the name is technically Krakatau in Indonesian, but Krakatoa is where this volcano is more commonly known as, and it's the name my sources use, so that's what I'm going to be referring to it as well. Krakatoa is a small volcanic island in Indonesia located about hundred miles west of Jakarta. A previous major eruption, likely in the fifth or sixth century AD, is thought to have created Krakatoa and two nearby islands, Lang and Verlatin, as well as the undersea caldera volcanic crater between them, It's located in the Sunda Strait between Sumatra and Java. And as of writing this, its current status is restless or a two out of five, meaning it's remaining active. As for its history, I did find some sources that mention Krakatoa in the sixth century as writings from China and Indonesia describe rare atmospheric phenomena that possibly could point to a volcanic eruption. Radiocarbon dating of eruptions in that part of the world are apparently spotty, but evidence does point to Krakatoa experiencing a huge caldera eruption. Ken Woolitz from the Los Alamos National Laboratory wrote online that he encouraged a scientific expedition to be led by Haralder Sigursun in the area, which uncovered thick pyroclastic deposits that suggested a caldera collapse did occur in the sixth century. A caldera is a huge depression formed when a volcano erupts and collapses in on itself and pyroclastics are rocks composed of volcanic materials to put it very simply. Pre-1883 eruption, however, there's not much said about Krakatoa. In 1681, one Dutchman named Johan Wilhelm Vogel noted, I saw with amazement that the island of Krakatoa on my first trip to Sumatra, June, 1679, completely green and healthy with trees, lay completely burnt and barren in front of our eyes and that at four locations was throwing up large chunks of fire. And when I asked the ship's captain when the aforementioned island had erupted, he told me that this had happened before in May, 1680. He showed me a piece of pumice as big as his fist. There is evidence that Krakatoa erupted in 1680, as this was also reported by a Bengali sea captain and written about in the book, Krakatoa, The Day the World Exploded. Aside from that, there are also accounts of visitors going to the island in the 1830s, and there was a brief survey of the islands done just a few years before the explosion in July, 1880. So while it's not as if nothing was known about the island, no one could have prepared for the tragedy of 1883. It started with tremors and smaller explosions. Many people believe that Krakatoa was extinct, but by 1883, it made of three peaks. Perbowatan, the northernmost and most active, Danan in the middle, and Rakata, which formed the southern end of the island. In May, 1883, people reported hearing explosions and tremors. According to history.com, reports started coming in from ships sailing through the busy waterway, including the German warship, Elizabeth, whose captain reported seeing a cloud of ash above Krakatoa stretching some six miles high. Things had quieted down by the end of the month, though smoke and ash continued to emerge from the Purbowatan Crater. Another source says that the series of minuscule earthquakes that took place in May were likely due to seismic activity in the tectonic plate. The vents were overpowering with steam, leading to subtle explosions. But on June 11th, 1883, eruptions could be heard again and black clouds were spotted in the atmosphere. They were so thick that they blocked out the sun and lowered the temperature in the area. By June 24th, ash columns were seen above the volcano and the depth of the ocean was unusually high. The Atlantic describes it as such. During these weeks, vessels passed through extensive fields of pumice, rocks that formed during a volcanic eruption spread over the surface of the sea. Some of these pumice nodules picked up around the 11th or 12th of July in latitude six degrees south and longitude 94 degrees east were very large and considerably worn. Several lumps were covered with barnacles an inch long, which represented at least four weeks growth. On August 1st, in latitude six degrees south, longitude 89 degrees east, 700 miles from the coast of Sumatra, a steamer passed through a field of floating pumice. And here the current was running eastward, 15 to 30 miles a day. The soundings at a spot reached 2,000 fathoms. It is known that a center of volcanic disturbance exists in the Keeling Atoll, situated 600 miles west by south from the mouth of the strait. And it is also known that pumice ejected from the sea bottom arises to the surface. The currents of the Indian Ocean will show that any flotsam in the region between west and south of Java Head in that longitude could be drifted to the locality in which it was observed in the month of July. Things only escalated from there. The volcano's activity rose in late August. One ship reported being unable to venture into the Sunda Strait because of the showers of pumice and ashes. Soon, the explosions became even more violent and they were heard in Batavia, 99 miles away. But the worst was yet to come. Though ships around Krakatoa were suffering. It was August 28th and 27th when Krakatoa fully erupted. A series of four massive explosions almost destroyed the island completely. The Independent writes that, "'It was 6 a.m. on August 26 in 1883 when the volcano on Krakatoa, a small island in Indonesia, catastrophically erupted. This earth-shattering event became the greatest natural disaster of the 19th century. The sky was bathed in an unearthly red glow and the fallout was felt around the world.'" The force of the eruption created the loudest noise ever recorded. It was heard 4,653 kilometers away on Rodriguez Island in the Indian Ocean and some 4,800 kilometers away in Alice Springs. Shockwaves traveled around the world seven times and the force of the blast was some 10,000 times larger than that of the hydrogen bomb dropped on Hiroshima. The volcano left 36,000 people dead and the survivors battled to cope with tsunamis, further eruptions and superheated ash clouds. And I can't even begin to imagine this kind of devastation. Plumes of ashes raced across nearby islands. Those that weren't killed by the intense heat would have been sandblasted to death. Dr. David Rotherty from the Department of Earth Sciences at the Open University said that it was hot enough to carbonize everything in its path. The tsunamis reached heights of 40 meters, well over 100 feet and flung sections of coral reef ashore, some weighing as much as 600 tons. Like any volcanic eruption, Krakatoa's is traced to the movement of the tectonic plates that make up Earth's crust. I'm sure most of you listening to this learned this when you were in middle school. Maybe some of you even made a baking soda volcano. However, Indonesia is located at the heart of a subduction zone where the Ido australian plate collides with part of the Asian plate, Sumatra, as it moves northward. What made Krakatoa so devastating is that in 1883, Each of the three distinct peaks of Krakataua served as an exit route for a massive magma chamber below. Analysis suggests that during an earlier eruption, debris clogged the neck of Perbawatin, the pressure then built up below the blockage. After the initial explosion split the magma chamber and the volcano began to collapse, seawater came into contact with the hot lava creating a cushion of explosively hot steam that carried the lava flows up to 25 miles at speeds of up to 62 miles per hour. Another source claims that Krakatawa was so devastating because of the massive sector collapse when a large portion of the volcano collapsed under internal pressure. Professor Nick Patford from the School of Earth Sciences and Geology at Kingston University stated, This is the first time a volcano had exploded and was known about instantly. The underwater telegraph cables were a network for communication, the precursor to the internet. Our best idea about what happened is that the final stage of the Krakatoa eruption was marked by a massive internal failure, says Petford, perhaps due to a landslide that exposed lots of magma to atmospheric pressure. Even though any volcanic eruption begins from movement by tectonic plates, Krakatoa was like the perfect storm of volcanoes at that moment. It had a global lasting effect and killed thousands, some from the blast, many from the tsunamis. A description given by Captain Watson of the British ship, Charles Ball, who was near the area at the time, can be found in the Atlantic article in my sources. It's a very lengthy description, but I'll go over a couple of the highlights now. In regards to the explosion, he wrote, at 1115, there was a fearful explosion in the direction of Krakatawa, then over 30 miles distant. We saw a wave rush right on to the Button Island, apparently sweeping entirely over the Southern part and rising halfway up the North and East sides, 50 or 60 feet, and then continuing on to the Java shore. This was evidently a wave of translation, and not of progression, for it was not felt at the ship. This we saw repeated twice, but the helmsman said he saw it once before before we looked. We were enclosed in the darkness that might almost be felt, and then commenced a downpour of mud, sand, and I do not know what, the ship going northeast by north seven knots per hour under three lower topsails. At noon, the darkness was so intense that we had to grope our way about the decks. We could not see each other. This horrible state and downpour of mud and debris continued until 1.30 PM. The roaring and lightning from the volcano being something fearful. Up to midnight, the sky hung dark and heavy, a little sand falling at times, and the roaring of the volcano very distinct, although we were fully 75 miles from Krakatoa. Such darkness and such a time in general, few would conceive and many, I dare say, would disbelieve. The ship from truck to waterline, as if it cemented, spars, sails, blocks, and ropes were in a horrible state, but thank God no one was hurt, nor was the ship damaged. But think of Angers, Marak, and other little villages on the Java coast. It's believed that the first great waves the day before on the 26th may have been caused by a portion of Krakatawa being shot out north for eight miles and dropped where Steers Island is. Steers Island, as well as Kalmyre, formed as a result of the eruption, but we'll get into that in just a moment. For now, I wanna talk about some of the effects in the days following the eruption. The darkened sky produced vividly colored sunsets seen around the world. Writing from England, poet Gerard Manley Hopkins described skies of green, blue, gold, and purple, more like inflamed flesh than the lucid reds of ordinary sunsets. The glow is intense. That is what strikes everyone. It has prolonged the daylight and optically changed the season. It bathed the whole sky. It is mistaken for the reflection of a great fire." As incredible as this sounds, I don't know if I would have been in awe or terrified, especially if I wasn't sure what was going on. Because of the dense clouds and dust, there was an immense global change. Scientists believe the eruption may have caused a drop in the average global temperature for years. Thousands of miles from Indonesia, the amount of rainfall in LA in the months following Krakatoa remained the city's highest annual rainfall on record at 38.18 inches. For reference, LA typically has an average rainfall of about 16 inches per year. And if you've lived in California, you get all of that in about two days. So in 1883, they got more than twice as much rain than usual, or at least by today's usual anyway. Krakatoa produced the loudest sound in recorded history at that time, rocking ships as far away as South Africa. Seriously, I don't think it's possible to understate the magnitude of this thing. It's estimated that more than 36,000 people died from the blasts and tsunamis, The walls of water created by the volcano's collapse in the sea overwhelmed nearby islands. Inhabitants of coastal towns on Java and Sumatra fled towards higher ground and 165 coastal villages were destroyed. One steamship, the Baro, was carried nearly a mile inland. All 28 crew members were killed. Another ship, the Loden, barely survived because the ship captain, Linderman, succeeded in turning its bow to face the wave and the ship was able to ride over the crest. It's said that when the crew looked back, they saw nothing left of the town where they'd been anchored. Krakatoa's VEI was a six. Tambora, a different volcano in 1816, was registered a seven and created a year without a summer. Tambora killed 100,000 people in the immediate aftermath and it's known as the deadliest volcano. But Krakatoa wasn't all that far behind, only one VEI behind that. VEI stands for Volcanic Explosivity Index and with Krakatoa's eruption, that leaves just Tambora as the worst eruption in modern history. The others that were worse, such as the Yellowstone Caldera or the Mazama occurred thousands of years ago. There are plenty of sources out there that go into great and fantastic length about the immediate effects in the days to come. Even though this was in 1883, there's no shortage of information and there's no doubt that this affected everyone, whether it made a major impact or a very minor one. Whether someone's village and family were destroyed or taken away, or someone saw the blue and green suns due to ash and aerosol circling the equator, everybody knew something big happened. One source says that in New York, about an hour north of Manhattan, the sunsets were so red and vivid that people genuinely thought buildings were aflame and fire departments were called. Strange sunsets continued for three years. And although the change of a massive 1883 style eruption may seem unlikely now, Krakatoa is still active and it has a child. In late 1927, Krakatoa reawakened, producing steam and debris. In early 1928, the rim of a new cone appeared above sea level and it grew into a small island within a year. Called Anak Krakatoa, Child of Krakatoa, the island has continued to grow up to an elevation of some 1,000 feet and erupts mildly at times. An eruption on March 31, 2014 measured a one on the VEI. However, within just a few years, Anak Krakatoa lived up to its deadly name. In 2018, its middle suddenly collapsed and triggered a tsunami that killed more than 400 people on the islands of Sumatra and Java. The water was more than 10 meters or 32 feet high. There'd been no sign of an imminent collapse in the hours leading up to Anak Krakatoa, no warning for the people that the child of Krakatoa killed. Smaller islands, such as Steers and Kalmer were also formed from the deposits of the Krakatoa eruption. However, both of these were eroded away by the waves within a few years. Anak Krakatoa doesn't seem to be going anywhere though. Recent articles explain that to make matters more difficult, Indonesia has no advanced early warning system in place for volcano generated summits. If Anak Krakatoa erupts again, creating more tsunamis, it's important that all residents in coastal villages can be aware of the danger. This source reads, An advanced early warning system could be installed. It would involve tide gauges to detect an increase in water levels, satellite imagery and drone mapping, and a tsunami numerical model run in real time. When this system triggered a warning, it would be fed direct to residents who live in the coastal belt. Until such a system is in place, it will be vital to get the local community involved in disaster risk management and education. But preparing for future disasters isn't just about building breakwaters or seawalls, though these defensive structures are clearly vital for preserving beaches for tourism and local businesses like fishing. It is also about educating people so that they feel psychologically healthier, more resilient, and less anxious about facing the mega tsunamis of the future. Of course, putting proper warning and planning systems in place takes time, money, and of course, it's easier said than done. Hopefully though, this can begin to be put in place. Government departments and local institutes can collaborate on the issue and these coastal villages will know what to do should Krakatoa or its child erupt again in the near future. Today, Krakatoa is heavily referenced in everything from children's novels to metal bands. In a way, an event like the 1883 eruption reminds us that we're all living on the same planet and we all share the same earth. But With that being said, that is where I'm going to end today's episode of Weird Wild World. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did make sure that you're liking, following and subscribing so that you can stay up to date on all the latest episodes. And if you wanna connect with me outside of these episodes, make sure to check for my Linktree link, which will have links for all of my social media and current projects that I'm involved in. Again, Thank you so much for making it to another episode of Weird Wild World. I love you all, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.